Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. One of the things that even a lot of secular historians agree on is that some guy named Saul did quite an about-face in terms of his uh, behavior and belief. But my friends, that is a description. It's not an explanation. So what happened? Remember this. Conversion comes as a result of divine initiative. And at its root, it's not a decision nor a commitment, but a surrender to the supreme authority of Jesus. And if you remember the whole story of Saul becoming Paul, well, that is today. And welcome to episode 2093 of our journey through the Bible together, reading through every single word of it as we consider our own life and work stories in light of that. Yesterday, I kind of nudged you indirectly, right? Remember we said every major advance of Christianity has been characterized by fervent witnessing of lay people, right? That's you and me kind of wanted to nudge you to go, oh, yeah, that's you and me. But remember this. We're just the messengers. We don't convert anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Today, we pick up and read Acts chapter 9 and quite a story. Now, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, capital W, the way, that's what they called themselves in the earliest Christian days, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you were persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, He could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Ananias replied, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called straight to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time, and immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was... Causing, causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him but his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda, and there he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died, and after washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him and urged him, Don't delay coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up, and then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. 
and Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. And there you go, Acts chapter 9. And you see where, in a sense, today's theme comes from. Conversion comes as a result of divine initiative, right? And at its root, it's not a decision nor a commitment, but a surrender to the supreme authority of Jesus. Turning to our Old Testament segment, um, we're going to hear about a transition um, from Isaac to Jacob. And yet, if you've been paying attention, you'll know, remember that Jacob's scheming as kind of a liar actually began back in what we read yesterday, right? He took advantage of his brother's foolishness and stole his birthright. Now, Jacob was an opportunist, right? Not unlike those who run lotteries and casinos and pawn shops of our day. But he had no scruples about taking advantage of someone's foolishness or desperation and sucking the life out of him or her. (laughs) Jacob, interestingly, was not only an opportunist, he was also aggressive in his greed. In fact, just look at him, oh yeah, now, in Genesis, picking up in chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his oldest son Esau and said to him, My son. And Esau said, Here I am. He said, Look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. So now take your hunting gear, your quiver and your bow, and go out in the field to hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt to bring in some game, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen. I heard your father talking with your brother Esau, and he said, Bring me some game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I'll make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. And then take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. His mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food that his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck, and then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father, he said, My father. And he answered, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? He replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so I can touch you, my son, 
Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac, and when he touched him, he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Again he asked, Are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Then he said, Bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him and he ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down in worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in worship to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then, he said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look, now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I have made him a master over you, have given him all of his relatives as his servants, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac looked at him and said, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now when the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, Listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. 
Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick of my life because of these Hittite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here, like these Hittite girls, what good is my life? So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Badan Aram, to Laban son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to get a wife there. And when he blessed him, Isaac commanded, to, uh, commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Padan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women. So Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and she was the sister of Nebaioth. And that gets us up through chapter 28, verse 9. Hey, my, my parents already don't like my two wives. I'm going to go marry another Canaanite woman. <laughs> and you thought you had to watch daytime TV for a soap opera. All right, my friends, as we turn toward uh, our wisdom segment for the day, um, I want you to remember this. Remember that back in Genesis, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Didn't say he was righteous. It said he was believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember our theme today. Conversion comes as a result of divine initiative and at its root, it's not a decision or commitment, but a surrender to the supreme authority of Jesus. And today in our wisdom segment, Psalm 11, you're going to hear Old Testament language as David asks, what can the righteous do? And I just want us to be careful to keep that in context or it would sound like we might be able to behave our way into heaven as opposed to it being divine initiative. Psalm 11, for the choir director, Psalm of David. I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows, they put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. And when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch, his gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. And that is Psalm 11. It's almost like 
It says, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That line could almost be like, what can we as believers do? Well, of course, David exhibits trust. And he says, you know, God's righteous and loves righteous deeds. But there's a big difference between righteousness getting you saved and then us responding in obedience and love and doing righteous things. Now, freed from this power and pain of sin and death and free to do the right thing. Ultimately, my friends, that's a great theology lesson for today because conversion comes as a result of divine initiative. And at its root, it's not a decision or commitment, but a surrender to the supreme authority of Jesus. Just like Saul, about to become Paul. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.